0: Welcome to TLDR Auspol, the podcast for the engaged-ish people of the world. We record on the lands of the Gadigal and Wurundjeri people. We acknowledge that the traditional owners, their elders, past, present and emerging, and that sovereignty was never ceded and that this is, was and will always be Aboriginal land. Hello and
1: welcome to this week's episode of TLDR Auspol. Hi, Annabelle. G'day, Ray. So that nice to Aussie. see you. It was super Aussie last week. You were very news readery, um, and this week you've come in full on ochre. I
0: can't um, remember what what threw me last week, but something threw me, and and I got really nervous, and yeah. I forgot how to speak. <laughs> yeah, you
1: you called me your. Good, good friend, I believe. Good good friend. <laughs> good good friend.
0: Um, it's so exciting to be seeing you for the third week in a row. Yay. It's good. look, it's good. It's weekly is a lot, I'll be yeah. honest. Weekly is a lot, but it's been good.
1: As yeah, well. it's been really fun. We've been getting into the groove of recording via Zoom, which, you know, now even more necessary than ever. Sydney's in lockdown. Um, you guys are <laughs> You guys are loving your freedom. I feel there. really,
0: really bad for Sydney. There's a lot of different reactions here in Melbourne in terms of Sydney going to lockdown and well, the rest of Australia are essentially going to lockdown. Yeah, it's a and lot Victoria feeling like we're in some sort of alternate warped reality. Yeah. <laughs> We've fallen into a wormhole where it's all flipped. Exactly. But I actually feel really bad lockdown sucks. Yeah, and yeah, there's no. I'm not. I don't feel victorious about this at all.
1: Yeah, it it is just that kind of like it just sucks. We're so sorry for all of our listeners who are stuck inside this week. Yeah, um, absolutely. And there's just no. There's no like. There's no great way of putting it. Lockdown is really hard, um, and it actually is maybe more like relevant makes this week's topic even more relevant Um, because I know that last year during you know that first um, national lockdown one of the things that came came quite obvious to me was that my mental health was something that was actually something that needed attention for the first time In my life, and so this week it wasn't planned that it was lockdown and we're talking about mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, but we have decided to unpack some of the budget announcements this week around uh, mental health and how and take a bit of a look at how in Australia we fund and support mental health services. So, um, I'm really looking forward to this episode. I'm going to start off with a bit of a disclaimer that, um, this topic for me is not very objective um dear show boyfriend andy hello andy um works-
0: hi andy is he off screen <laughs> you looked away you looked off screen as though he's there is he there
1: <laughs> well he is actually in the living room but i don't think oh, he's okay. me
0: <laughs> he's not just off screen though
1: No, he's not, he's not right there. That'd be a bit weird actually to be recording and have him like watching. Um, But this is a topic that I've learned a lot about um, because of him and the work that he does. So um, Andy runs an organization called Burn Brat that do leadership and well-being stuff in high schools, which has a lot of great mental health outcomes for young people, mm-hmm. which is awesome. And so I'm really excited to actually be diving into something, you know, we've done interesting topics every week. Um, but usually of the two of us, I'm not the one with lots of thoughts and feelings. Like usually uh, you're coming to me being like, I'm very excited about this I thing. And I'm like, okay, this. I'm going to level yeah. with you. Whereas this week I was like, <laughs> I'm going to talk about this thing and you're like, I'm here for it.
0: I know. I have lots of questions. (laughs) It's funny how you say about being objective because like I have never come to this podcast with that MO once. Like (laughs) I'm going to try and be objective as shock horror to everyone who's listening, (laughs) but it's lovely that you've you've tried to be objective because I have not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do try. I, I mean, obviously we all have more inherent biases, biases. Um, but I'm really excited to unpack this. So I thought maybe the best place for us to start would be for you to give us a little bit of a rundown on what the budget announcements actually are when it comes to mental health.
0: I sure will. So mental health services will receive an extra $2.3 billion in the 2021 federal budget with the bulk of that funding going to treatment centres and suicide prevention efforts. So more than half of that, $1.4 billion, will be allocated to a network of Commonwealth-funded mental health centres specialising in diagnosis and treatment of conditions in adults, youth and children, including headspace facilities across the country.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, around $298 million will go to suicide prevention, partnering with the states and territories to ensure everyone has who has ever attempted suicide continues to receive care and support once they leave hospital. Um, almost $249 million is being promised to help create digital mental health services, allowing counseling and support online, while $202 million is for training nurses and psychologists working in mental health. A further $107 million is being spent on mental health prevention in vulnerable communities, particularly among Indigenous Australians. Um, $487 million to establish a national frame, a uh, national network, rather, sorry, of adult mental health centers. Um, $278 million on the expansion of Headspace Youth Services, $288 million for repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation or RTMS, um, which is a treatment for depression. Wow, and more than a hundred million dollars each for dig- digital mental health services and group therapy supporting participata- particip- participation, participation, <laughs> family and carers. I nearly got to the end of that. You did
1: nearly get to the end of that, and that was so many dollars and so many, so many words.
0: I found this super, super interesting. Um, some of the some of the areas that are being funded, and I won't preface my three my three key points, <laughs> but I found, found find that really interesting, some of the areas that are being funded.
1: Yeah. And, and I'm glad that you say that actually, because I thought what would be a good thing to do to take a look at next was to take a look at, well, what's the current state of affairs when it comes to mental health in Australia? How did we land on those yeah, areas great. being the things that get um, funding in in this budget. Um so here's here's the download. Everyone strap yourselves in. There's a lot of words coming at you. Um oh. over the past 30 years, the Council of Australian Governments or Coag, um, which just as a fun side note for you, um it's it's a group that is chaired by our prime minister and then the membership of that group is all of our state and territory premiers as well as the president of the local government authorities so the idea is that it's this like independent well it's not independent in that all of those people have a vested interest and they represent parties and rah, rah rah but it's like a separate forum for them to come together and that forum has a board and so when when COAG comes together and say, this is how we're approaching something. It needs sign off, not just from the politicians, it also needs sign off from the independent board. Mm. Um, And so given the nature of, you know, something like a a mental health plan, um, COAG uh, are the ones that have signed off um, and helped develop five iterations of a national mental health plan that began in 1993. So it's actually been on our agenda as a country for a really long time. Mm. And what each of these plans does is, is works out, how are we approaching uh, mental health support and outlines the responsibility of different levels of government as well. But these plans aren't just COAG coming together and, you know, calling up some mates who work in mental health being like, what should we spend money on? There's actually an international, like a charter, it's called an atlas um, that was put out by the World Health Organisation in 2013 um, that set out what they are calling like their pillars of, of what each country should address in their mental health plans um, and a bunch of our kind of like for like nations you know the uk new zealand they also base they've accepted these pillars as their basis for their national mental health plans as well so um, these pillars are one universal health coverage so everyone would have access to human rights um, the fact that it's a right to have services to um health care that supports all of you, not just your physical body. Uh, Three is an evidence-based practice. So making sure that your plans are backed up by science. Mm -hmm. Four is a life course approach, um, which this is probably one that's like a bit dear to my heart, but I won't go down that rabbit hole yet. But a life course approach is basically saying that it's not just taking a look at, you know, the moments where you may um, suffer from mental ill health, but like throughout the whole of your life, um, your mental health is something that you work on and that is a big part yeah, right. of your life. And so yeah. it being one of these pillars is really saying that it should be a consideration in any nation's approach to mental health. Um, number five is a multi-sectoral approach, so understanding that when it comes to mental health, it's not just necessarily um, the healthcare system um, that influences this. And the last is number six is empowerment of persons with mental disorders or psychosocial disabilities. So mm-hmm. number six is really talking about those like acute um, circumstances when it comes to mental health. So like I said, what Australia has done has adopted these, saying we agree that these pillars are essential, we're going to build our plans off this. Yeah. Uh, and COAG's gone off and done that and put together these mental health plans that um, I think the time frame is usually five years, I could be pulling that out of my backside, but I believe that they're five-year plans <laughs> and then they stop and reiterate. So what I thought I'd do is just give you a quick um, a quick little rundown on um, what our current mental health plan funds and what level of government funds um, each of those. So at a federal level, the Australian government funds a range of mental health-related services through Medicare. So if you go along to your GP and you get a mental health plan just like I did uh, almost this time last yep. year um, and you can go Same. off and find your psychologist um, or your counsellor and get your rebated yep. sessions <laughs> um, that is the federal government helping you out thanks federal government um, I
0: gave Annabella thumbs oh, I'm up I'm not gonna say that um, <laughs> you, you, I was like I was I'm so invested in what you're saying and so like I nearly friggin said that so anyway <laughs> you um, can thank um, them for your <laughs> Well, I'm not going to thank the federal government for anything to do with Medicare. We don't need to go down that road right now. I, I'm really <laughs> happy that you talk that you're talking about Coag because um, I think I mentioned it last week, and it's a really interesting group in in the medical mm. space. And it's cool that you've pulled it apart that way. Um, yeah, I just I really I really like Coag, and and everything's documented. I get yeah. a lot of information in terms of um, cancer, the ad- yeah, cancer advocacy yeah. work that I do from those meetings. So I'm really really Glad that you've done that rundown. That was cool.
1: I think as well Sorry. it's the kind of thing that you hear on the news or you read in the paper. And until I, like, actually stopped to Google it, I was like, oh, cool, that's quite a good function. Good oh, job, yeah, everyone.
0: Yeah, good job, that's Australia. A, that's a good thing to have. Um, Don't make me nearly thank the federal government
1: again. <laughs> I've come close enough. I'm not going to push my boundaries anymore. <laughs> <laughs> good try. <laughs> um, but, yes, so when you when you get your mental health plan and you get your rebated sessions um, hmm. with your um, mental health professional, um, that's the federal government. Uh, they also have the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme and the Repatriation Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme, so particular um, medications um, that are subsidised by the government, that's a federal-level um, policy. Um, the federal government also fund a range of programs and services, um, particularly in the support um, for people with, like, acute... Uh, mental illness, so it's things like income support, social and community support, disability services, workforce participation programs, housing assistance, um, telephone-based crisis line, so Lifeline um, receives federal government funding for what they do, really important work, online crisis support services, and additional programs run by primary health networks. Now, I'm going to park primary health networks. I'm going to come back to them in a little while, Um, but Interestingly, what you can hear or what I hear when I read through this list is that you, you really begin to hear how there's a number of different government agencies and a number of different service providers that, ha- that contribute to Australia's mental health plan yeah. being really robust. And, and that's one of the tough things about this policy area is that it's so complex and, it, mm. it, and it touches so many different areas of someone's life. So mm-hmm. um, at a federal level, that's the things they're looking at. Um, At a state level, state and territory governments then fund and deliver public sector mental health services that provide specialist care. So you think about things like um, psychiatric hospital settings, um, specialised community mental health care centres and services, um, your residential mental health care services, and some of this can even overlap with your aged care. Um, residential as well which which we touched on really briefly last week Um, and things like supported accommodation and social housing also sometimes fall under the jurisdiction of the states but what you can kind of see is that like really beautiful illustration of like The federal government come out and they take the brunt of what they can without delivering services because it's not what they were designed to do. And then when it comes to the delivery of services, when we go one step down to the state governments, we see them get a little bit closer to the service Mm -hmm. providers and start to do some of those things that are a little bit closer to the people that these policies help. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then interestingly, the third layer here is kind of the, the private and the third sectors. So when I say third sector, I'm talking about the not-for-profit and the non-government organisations. Um, and they look after things like um, admitted patient care in, in your private psychiatric, psychiatric hospitals, private services provided by psychiatrists, psychologists, allied health professionals. Now, some of these may be rebated by Medicare, which is great, mm-hmm. but the actual service delivery is happening with these, you know, private and third sector organizations. So the actual the government aren't employing the people that are providing or delivering your counseling services or it's kind of all pushed down the chain.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so that right. the people that are regulating it and taking care of it are as close to the people that are being helped as possible. Yep. So the TLDR on this, where's our money going for mental health at the moment? Medicare, subsidized medicines on the PBS, programs and services to support people living with, like I said, those acute manifested instances of mental illness, um, primary health networks, programs like Headspace, subsidized local care into other parts of our system. So sometimes, you know, some of that money is getting funneled into our our healthcare system, um, but also into things like welfare payments, you know, for supported accommodation, that kind of thing. And lastly, it's going to funding some third sector organizations who are providing services like Lifeline or, um, you know, the Reach Foundation, Batir, those kinds of organizations. So that's literally, I think, as simple as as I can get on this one. And I will have definitely missed things. Um, And actually, I want to put a little bit of a disclaimer in here. If we've got anything wrong when we are explaining stuff like this, let us know. Mm. <laughs> Drop us a note. Um, chances are I butchered something in there. Um, and I want to know. I want to be right on it. I want to be as right as possible. Yeah. So, if you're listening to this and you're in the mental health space and you're like, you've got it all wrong, girlfriend, <laughs> drop us a note. But hopefully, that info should give you what you need to know to then kind of hear our reflections on yeah. this policy area and how this money totally. is being spent. Um, so, I just spoke for ages um, and I'd like did to hear good, voice. You
0: Thank did good, girl. You did good. You <laughs> um, said government the government. whole way through, and not government government like no do. there's an n government my father um, would tell me to pronounce it properly my beautiful English. father who is recovering from a hip replacement in hospital before um I went to visit him before and a nurse asked me a question he went yeah and then he went I mean yes <laughs> and I'm like dad you don't have to do it here <laughs> love he's, that he's so beautiful <laughs> I my love Josh. that.
1: Will we send him all the love in recovering from his hip surgery? He's doing great. He's oh, I'm so glad attention. to
0: hear. I'm so glad to hear.
1: <laughs> um, Abby, talk to me. What were the yeah. three things that stood out to you when when you did your research for this week's
0: episode? So, firstly, I did. You did cool headings last week on your three points. So I yeah, started I with cool headings. So my first heading is called a look back. And if we had like um, some sound effects, we could go. Doo, 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 doo. You know, <laughs> I like, was just thinking that actually. Like, yeah, I look back, kind of a montage kind of anyway so <laughs> look we've talked about how like the metrics of um how the funding is allocated are all over the shop in these budgets and we've we've talked about that most of the the last couple of weeks and this year's budget breaks up the 2.3 billion dollars into spending what 2.3 dollar billion dollar spending over Four years. So, what I thought I'd do is look back on what's been spent in the previous four years. So, we'll start with this, awesome. this year, 2021. So, we've got the—I'll try and get it right now. 2.3 billion dollar down payment in response to the recommenda- recommendations made by the Productivity Commission's inquiry into mental health. Why am I stumbling? There's so many like <laughs> syllables. So many syllables. We got through that first bit, and now I'm like, um. So, and also the advice um, to the National Suicide Preventions prevention advisors final report so that's what we had this year and we've talked yep. about that a lot um last year in 2020 the government committed 485 million dollars towards mental health initiatives over the course of bu- the budget estimates but by the time this was announced there had also been some mental health funding announcements made as a result of the covid response um so this announcement was made sort of in combination of some measures that had been previously announced and some new funding so it was a bit sort of hard for me to figure that one out mm. Um, A year back, 2019, before it all happened... Um, yeah, $736.6 million uh, for mental health and suicide prevention in two key areas across 25 specific initiatives was committed over the course of seven years. Um, and in 2018, new investments of $338 million for the mental health sector was concentrated in the areas of suicide prevention, older Australians and mental health research. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like looking back like this on previous budgets actually kind of highlighted more gaps in understanding, good less. <laughs> for me so for example one of the things that stood out to me was like that 736 $736 736.6 million dollars over seven years um that commitment in 2019 that still has five years of funding Mm -hmm. left so is that amount still to be paid on top of the $2.3 billion? Is that incorporated into it? Do we wipe the slate clean every year? Do we have to honour, do do governments have to honour previous budget commitments? Like how does that all work? Mm. And um, I did ask around some of my more intelligent Political friends, um, I found out that even though governments will usually will will usually honour their previous commitments, they don't actually have to. Which I thought that's, was nuts.
1: Yeah, that's wild.
0: Although that was bananas.
1: It's so inconsistent. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like you can be like, I'm gonna we're gonna do four hundred million dollars over thirty seven years, and you know. <laughs> just put a little bit of money and then the next year you go, ah, no, we're not going to do that anymore.
1: It kind of adds to what we were talking about in our first episode about the budget where, you know, I talked a bit about the budget being like a political showpiece because it's like how excited can you get the people about whatever you're talking about? Can you get them excited enough to ignore the fact that you've just promised something well beyond your election term?
0: Well, this and this is the thing too, like if there's a change in government, all bets are off. So Yeah. 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 So it's it is really interesting to me. And you know, I'm keen to pull this apart more. Um, so yeah, if anyone's got any different perspectives or kind of is yeah, banging, yelling at their speaker, I was gonna say banging on there, and then I didn't know what I was gonna say. <laughs> that. On there. Yelling at their yes. speaker um, <laughs> on their headphones. Um yeah, like please like hit us up on our socials, tell me. I'm yeah, I'm gonna pull this out a little bit more because it's just yeah, it's bananas, it's cool.
1: Yeah.
0: Um So, my second thing here, I've called it unquantifiables. Um, So, in November last year, the Productivity Commission's final report on mental health highlighted some major reforms in the industry. And I won't go down the reform road and I won't go down (laughs) the we need more money road. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to look at these things differently. and, but there is always a danger with commission recommendations, be they mm-hmm. royal, national, or productivity, um, that they will be cherry-picked and the more announceable ones sort of will be announced. Um, <laughs> and and I do get that. Like, you know, there are some things that are just easier for the Australian public to understand. Mm-hmm. There's stuff that's easier to put in a budget um, or centre an election promise around. Like I I get why that happens and I think it happens on both sides of the pond. Yeah. Um, and a couple of episodes ago we did talk about how prevention is a difficult thing for the government to quantify. Yeah. Um so it is really heartening to see prevention tackled in this budget. Yeah, um, I find this one I find this one quite hard, right? Because this is the space
1: that um that Andy and Burnbright have wrestled with a little bit in that yeah. like technically the work that they do um should be considered preventative mental health yeah. interventions, yeah. right? Like you're going into schools and teaching kids how to build meaningful relationships you're teaching kids um you know how to find their grit in tough moments so that they're Mm -hmm. building resilience so that they can flourish you know all of those all these terms that are genuinely you know in the mental health dictionaries um but interestingly i was having a chat to andy about this episode before we started recording and he was saying that one of the hardest things about the prevention space for mental health and you know yes we've touched on it before how do you measure prevention um,
0: yeah, exactly. was
1: that there's actually no like agreed upon definition of what like prevent- preventative measures or preventative interventions for mental right. health look like. Right. And so it's like, I love that it's included in the budget because I'm like, great, are we that much closer to Burnbright getting some government mm-hmm. funding, you know, <laughs> to do the great work that they do? Um, but also are we that much closer to more services like that getting to kids so that yeah. we do, you know, see these really resilient, young people who hopefully never have well I mean everyone will have but hopefully don't have any serious instances of mental ill health in their lifetime but yeah it's interesting it's like if we can't if we can't define the problem we certainly can't solve it
0: yeah that's really interesting it's not like you can get a mammogram or something like that like it's it's so the prevention we don't even know what that looks like yeah exactly yeah I think that's super interesting and like the other thing that it's hard is hard to quantify another unquantifiable is quality (laughs) you know and and That's hard to announce in a budget. That's hard to announce to the public. Um, And we're already seeing it in listener questions on our Instagram, which, by the way, thank you. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. We like it. Um, But, you know, how do we quantify and measure things like quality, culture, reform? Like it's really hard to articulate. Yeah. Um, But the uncomfortable truth is that neither Australia nor any other comparable country has actually managed to improve the mental health of its population simply by increasing the provision of mental health services. Yeah. Quality, yeah. Um, how do we quantify that? I don't know. Um, the Australian Bureau of Statistics has been tracking our national mental health over the past twenty years, and even though there's been a significant increase in mental health services during that time, our actual mental health hasn't improved at all. And for young people, if for young people, if anything, there's been a worsening in recent years, and the suicide rate has been trending up. So. Tackling those unquantifiables like prevention, like quality of services, that's super important, and I hope that that trend continues. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my third point, uh, my third thought Number is eight. state and federal co-op. Yeah. Um, and you know, Victoria also threw some big money at mental health. Um, perhaps not surprising, given the year <laughs> we've had down here. You guys are traumatized. So twenty twenty one Oh my goodness me. Again, I yeah, I don't wish it on anyone. So I feel for everyone who's in lockdown at the moment. Um and the 2021-2022 state Victorian state budget committed a record $3.8 billion in mental health and well-being. That's wow. so much. I was just, yeah, flawed. flawed. Um yeah. to put that into some perspective. Victoria's 2021 mental health budget commitment represents more than the total contribution made by every state and territory <laughs> under the CoAG National Action Plan. Right, so that's cool. You guys are getting it. <laughs> we're getting some. We're getting some money. Yeah. Um, but when I heard it, the first thing that popped into my mind was how do state and federal work together to deploy this? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of money coming our way. How do we make sure that it's going? you know, in a coordinated effort. And yes, there's already been some political argy-bargy in this announcement, like the federal government was criticising the Victorian government for its decision to deploy a new levy on big businesses to help fund that Mm -hmm. massive dollar amount. Um, The state treasurer was saying that um, Victoria had previously approached the Commonwealth government to incorporate the necessary new mental health spending into the Medicare levy. Yeah. Um, You know, so look, I... It's not looking good for a coordinated approach. I would love, I would love, love, love to see it. Um, Especially, you know, there are decisions like where new services might be best located. Like that's a good start for me. Um, For example, you know, governments could agree to locate the new treatment hubs in regions where existing access to either Medicare or hospital-based services is low. Um, Look, would it work in the real world? Yeah. I don't. Probably not, yeah. <laughs> but that is something that, you know, that's really important to me. Yeah, no, so, yeah. it's interesting that's-
1: because um, I'm, I'm going to do a bit of a ditty in a second about the primary health networks and they're a super good example of how. <laughs> you've been prefacing,
0: how, like, you've been, you've been, I've been like prefacing. shadowing it.
1: Sure. I really shouldn't build up too much anticipation about it because my understanding of it is so limited, but I can conceptually connect with what it's trying to do. And that's what I'm going to try and explain. But like when it comes Love to specifics, it. I'm useless. Um, but it's, a, it's the primary health networks are a good example of where there's been like, I reckon about as much cooperation as we can expect to be functional. Um, yeah. And that's such a low bar. <laughs> and normally on the podcast, I'm the one that's like a super defensive of government, you know, and like of the systems and rah, rah. But I'm like, oh, I'm looking at this. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure. Um, anyway, I'm going to race through. You might be surprised. You never know. Yes. I love being surprised. Um, I'm going to race at, through look my Look at me being optimistic. Sorry, I love go. this. I love Let's it. Go. Um, because this has been so great. We're already over time. So I'm going to whiz through this like next little bit. Um, But the three things that stood out to me um, in in doing my research and taking a look at this budget um, announcement funding um, the first one was that it's, it's allocated to areas that are outlined in our national mental health plan, which makes sense to me. So I, I read through it and then I took yeah. a look back over the national mental health plan and was like, oh, there's nothing surprising in here. Um, the only pleasant surprise was the additional funding for COVID, um, you know, additional funding for mental health due to COVID, cool. uh, which I thought was necessary. Yeah, uh, so cool. Yep. Yeah, so that's great. Um, uh, I'm gonna pop in the show notes, the link to the National Mental health plan so I won't run you through their the, um, priority areas, but it all makes sense to me. I was like I read through it and I was like, good job, everyone, we made a plan and we're sticking to it. Mm. Okay, point number two, primary <laughs> health networks. <laughs> Let's go. Oh my gosh, pressure's oh, on, Pressure is on. I'm actually yeah. genuinely feeling it, I think my heart rate. might the be going anticipation a bit. is high. Um, so primary health networks. As a citizen, you will probably never come into contact with a primary health network, Um, but I was taking a look at and I was also chatting to a couple of friends who work in the mental health space and this primary health network thing kept coming up. Basically what a primary health network does is they're geographically located networks or centers Mm -hmm. um, and they coordinate with healthcare providers in the area so that when an individual is accessing services, their treatment should in theory be tailored and quite personal to what they're needing particularly if we have more acute um acute mental health challenges that we're dealing with um and people are seeing multiple healthcare um professionals the primary health networks are supposed to be the ones that are sitting are the ones that sit in the background and bring together all of those local services and make sure that for that particular area the right services are accessible um, and that the right services are talking to each other when it comes to particular individuals Mm. Um, and so when I was kind of thinking about this I was like oh they're kind of like you know local councils you know (laughs) like in that you don't necessarily see the local councils um, I don't want to say doing too much because they our local councils do do so much but you don't necessarily like email the council but you interact a lot with the structures that the local council has put you know every time you put your recycling bin out you're participating in a local council scheme you know so your local council is involved with almost everything you do on a daily basis somehow Mm -hmm. but you never really see them um Mm -hmm. there in front of you and that's kind of what the primary health networks do within this space right is they're in the
0: background facilitating stuff unless you run for local council (laughs) unless you decide to run for local council in COVID in deep lockdown deep lockdown that's (laughs) right
1: um and so the primary health networks according to the department of health were created with the outcomes of increasing the efficiency and effectiveness of medical services for patients and improving the coordination of care to ensure patients receive the right care in the right place at the right time sounds good right yes but it raises for me a bit of a question, an age-old question, around how many levels of bureaucracy is a good many levels of bureaucracy yeah, yeah. because it feels a little bit like this. there's the potential for this additional layer of government to just suck up a fair bit of money. Um, like could we have directed this additional funding to the public health system, uh, mm-hmm. built out more of a framework to ensure that this communication and coordination was happening with existing systems instead of creating a new one? Um, because I do, I do wonder, you know, and, and the answer could genuinely be that, no, they, they do more good than they suck up cash. Awesome. Um, how do you measure that? I don't know, (laughs) is it unquantifiable. So this is not so much a commentary on primary health networks, so much as it is a question to say, I think one of the things that we have to be careful of is when we're trying to solve problems like this. And one of the things that we have to be mindful of when we're being an engaged citizen and we're trying to consume and understand the policy around us is that, you know, these kinds of systems... There's a, there's a lot of ways to solve these complex problems Yeah, and we're not always going to get it right. And sometimes adding those layers of bureaucracy, which is a design for fairness and justice will work. And other times we should be skeptical of them. And I and mm-hmm. I think if, if I had to make wow. a comment on it, I think I would be skeptical of adding bureaucracy at this particular point in time. Um, yep. Because at the end of the day, if you, the harder you make it for an organization or an individual to like get the funding they need to get the service that they need. That's not a good outcome. Totally, um, totally. And so yeah, look, if I've got that wrong, like we said, please just drop me a note. But um, anyway, that was that. That's my little gripe about primary health networks. I'm like, have we complicated something that was already complex? Mm. Lastly, the role of the third sector. I mentioned it earlier. You know that when it comes to the actual service delivery. Um, there's a big part of in social policy, there's this gap that often we leave for our not-for-profits to fill um, because they're not as heavily regulated as government bodies. Um, they're really close to their constituents. They're really close to the people that they're helping. They understand their needs. You know, they're agile enough most of the time to be able to meet those needs. You know, and Adby, you know this better than anyone working for a not-for-profit for so long. Yeah. Um you guys can change strategy whenever you dang well please mm. to make sure that you're still getting the outcomes that you need for people living with brain cancer and their families, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So a
1: government body to just like ditch strategy and try something new, it's really hard and yeah. they're going to get massive backlash for it. So there's like, when it comes to, you know, building social policy, there's always this gap left for the third sector to do their thing and come in and yep. help the people. But yeah. Uh, I really worry that within the mental health space, we've added layers of complexity and layers of process. And we're expecting not-for-profits to be able to act like businesses to get the funding that they need to do the things that they need to do well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you look at Burnbright and and for years we've been trying to get Burn Bright deductible gift recipient status so that when someone donates to Burnbright, they can take it off their tax. And Burnbright doesn't fit any of the ATO categories oh right yep you know and so it's like you put processes like that in place that are designed for fairness but that there's like there's there's not enough room for iteration on you know and I and I know that I you know I've I've got my angsty girlfriend hat on here no
0: it's Um, It's great
1: you know it's like flip a table Rhiannon flip a table I'm never the one to flip a table Um, which one are you (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Who am I? <laughs> am I wearing a red skivvy tonight? Um, where's your
0: punch you in the face, red skivvy? Where's
1: my punch you in the face, red skivvy? Um, but, you know, it's it's moments like this where I think, oh, we keep changing the goalposts, you know, like yeah. you keep changing the funding mechanisms, you keep changing the outcomes you want to see, you keep changing the language that you're trying to get charities to use to get funding. And when it comes to a, pol- a social policy space like this, we need our not-for-profits more than ever to have the optimal conditions to deliver as many services as they can Um, you know and I'm all for making sure that there's a standard and that there is some kind of process to ensure that government money is being spent well but I just can't separate my personal experience on this one of being like how can you people not see that these rules are um, actually meaning that a couple of organisations don't get some some government help to deliver really important work? Mm. And so, yeah, my mm. third my third point here is just around like making sure that our our system um, gives gives the charities that are helping you know helping not just our young people but helping so many Australians access services. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm going to
0: get off my soapbox now. Um, this is very no, uncharacteristic. Really, you know, it's it's in so many areas where charity and the third sector is looked to to fill in the gaps. Mm. You know, and bolster the what the government's doing, and it's just really not the point. It's the it's you know, it's like cart before the horse type scenario. So I get you. Yeah. So yeah, I I totally think we get just-
1: you. Like you ride that line of like we need government money to be spent well and to be accounted for well and, you know, so there has to be a process there to ensure that there's like due diligence. Um, but mm. there also needs to be process there to evaluate like how do we stop and iterate the system when it's no longer Probably. allowing for as much impact as possible. Yeah. Um, so with all that said,
0: Abby, what does it all mean? What does this mean? My favourite, my (laughs) favourite segment. segment. So (laughs) when I was a kid, Ray, I had this book called Why Are There More Questions Than Answers, Grandad? And that's what unpacking these announcements was like for me. The more I read, the more questions I had, you know. So for me, I just, I think it's a bit of a to be continued for me because like, what does this mean? I don't know. (laughs) I, I just don't know. I don't know i kind
1: of couldn't agree more i um you know when i got to the end of all this and i was like i've written my notes and i've gotten on my soapbox and i've tried to understand primary health networks i was like wow this is complex but i think in terms of what does it mean i think for this it means we've spent money in areas that make sense according to the plan we had awesome
0: Yeah, yeah yeah um so where do we land yep Talk to me. So, look, um, I'm going to throw a, just a couple more stats at you, just to finish this Da-da. up. You know, so
1: Da-da.
0: <laughs> according to data from the Australian <laughs> Talks, the Australia Talks National Survey, one in five young people are struggling the most with their mental. Mm-hmm. Health. Um, all, across almost every mental health-related question in, 20, in the 2021 survey, young people came off worse. And there's also a decline since the last Australia Talk survey in 2019. Um, and across the board, many Australians said their mental health had worsened since the pandemic, including 52% of those aged 18 working in casualised professions like hospitality mm. and tourism, um, in p- positions where they haven't been eligible for support, such as keeper during COVID lockdowns and so you know look whichever way you cut it I just this is a really important spend and at a really critical time.
1: Yeah totally and I think I think where I landed with this was like a reiteration of how complex um, an issue like this is to tackle Um, Mm. an issue that's constantly changing as well you know like that number there of um, having young people the most affected by um, mental health challenges um is actually probably a pretty new landscape you know mm-hmm. to have um a landscape where young people are even being asked about their mental health and how they're being right a safe point. space so you've got this like super dynamic um space um yeah. and super dynamic dialogue about this which makes it just constantly more complex <laughs> um, you know, and I, I, think looking at it, like I said, we've we've spent money on on things that are according to the plan. But I'm just not convinced that our current setup like works really well for the everyday Australian who, mm. at some stage in their life, you know, could do with a little bit of mental health help. Like mm. I think our system is really well set up to support really acute um, instances of mental ill health. Um, but I would just love to see how we encourage the everyday Australian to seek the help that they need when they need to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. With that, we are way over time because this week has just been such another meaty, (laughs) meaty topic. Um, It's been such a pleasure, Annabelle. Um, We are just weekly at the moment getting like some really awesome feedback on our Instagram. So thank you to all of you who are, you know, here and listening with us. Um, We we do have one little request for our dear listener friends. Um, If you could rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening to us. Um, that would be that would be really awesome.
0: Yeah. And can I um just do a quick shout out to Flick for sharing us on her social on her Instagram stories. Thank you so much for doing that. And love you, Flick. Yeah, you're awesome. And thank you for your comments. Um, to everyone who's commented on our Instagram posts and the discussions that are starting to be had, this is exactly what we wanted. So thank you
1: yep we love you immensely and looking forward to the next episode with you Annabelle mm-hmm. I believe you know just as a bit of a teaser I believe we might be talking COVID what
0: no one what? cares about no one knows anything about it's not about topical COVID. at all come on come <laughs> oh, on I can't
1: wait to record that episode with
0: you have a great Same. week you too bye, bye.